Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dean and Ed. Love you guys. Thank you for sharing, and welcome. Welcome, guys, to the net. It's good to see new faces, good to see old faces, and um, welcome. So tonight is a kickoff of this 2013 first semester of the net, and I'm really, really excited about what the Lord has in store for us. So I, I encourage you to just simply take action. We're here to engage you guys and get you moving in the area of just your roles, particularly, um, specifically, as just the men God's called you to be. So uh, the birthplace of the net was in context of a vision for the men of new life 10 years from now. I want to be here 10 years from now. I want to see the men of new life built into and healthy uh, because as you guys engage with men, as you guys get stronger as men, you're going to build healthier, stronger families. And who knows, maybe my sons and daughter-in-laws are sitting out there in your families, and you know what, Carrie and I are praying for them. The vision for 10 years from now is built on 10 years past. 10 years ago, we moved here from Georgia. Uh, It was a God story, and it was 2002. We moved here on a women of prayer, didn't know a soul in Colorado Springs. We uh, bounced around a little bit and finally settled at New Life Church. Not really knowing anybody, um, but we landed here, and I was about four weeks into new life, and we were really drawn here because the worship was engaging, there was something fresh, there was an atmosphere that was engaging, but we didn't know a soul in a big old church. We were across the hall in the theater, and it was after that service that came over, I felt this big tap on the shoulder, and I turned around, and this guy looked at me, and his eyes just had one of those eyes that just pierced right through you. And he looked up, and he's a big guy. And he said, you and I are meant to be friends. Let's go to lunch. <laughs> I'm like, what is up with this? So Carrie and I didn't know anybody, and so we didn't have anything going on. So we took our girls. We headed down to on the border. And it was all cute and fun, and we were curious. And then all of a sudden, there was a moment. We were sitting in the car, and they pulled up, and then it got real serious. Is that we saw them take the wheelchair out of the back of their SUV. And they, the father picked up the daughter, who was about eight years old at the time, and little Gabriella, cerebral palsy. All of a sudden, it got real serious. Because a parent of handicapped children, they're very special. And my, and my heart and Carrie's heart just opened wide to this family. And I knew there was a special friendship in store for me, for this guy that had the audacity to come up and say, you and I are going to be friends. And that's Jeff. I experienced Jeff over the next few years as a guy completely fish out of water. That guy was the most displaced individual I think I've ever met. We took more walks of figuring out, man, he, he, he called himself a consultant, but I'm not really sure whatever he consulted. <laughs> he was always broke half the time. I could never tr- figure out what he was supposed to do. He talked about all these things that he used to do, but yet he has passed and he had a story. And the more I unlocked that and our friendship grew over time, that, that um, there, there was something that was brewing in that friendship. And I'll, I'd like to come back to that story in just a few minutes. Let me anchor tonight's um, talk on kings, prophets, and priests out of a passage that may be familiar to some of you guys, but it's uh, 1 Samuel 22. Let me have you turn there with me. The story, uh, as the story goes, 
is uh, David is in uh, kind of dire straits, and uh, he is, he's on the run, he's in the wilderness, and he's surrounded by a ragtag group of guys. Let me just pause here for a minute in the, this biblical context and just ask a question. Um, how many of you are in, a, in your ideal situation? How many of you are coming here tonight and I'm in my sweet spot of life? And whatever I'm experiencing right now is ideal. It probably couldn't get much better. Anybody? Okay, great. There's a couple of us. Not many. The reality is, guys, is that there's always, there's not, there's not always, we can always find things that need to grow and develop. And that's, that little tool on the back, that cutesy little triangle, is something in here, and it's something that I've experienced with you men in the last year is that men, you come in here, and all of you have something that you're really hurting in. Anybody? There's something that is just weighing on you, and that's the reality. But if many of you, like me, have experienced sitting in different men's group setting, the next thing you know, the whole group, the whole dynamic is locked in on all the crap of life. And, and we're hurting, and that is a reality. But it's another thing I've experienced about you men is that you're also developing. Is that God has you in a place where you are growing in something. How many husbands and fathers do we have here tonight? How many of you want to grow into being God's man for your wife and your kids? You are developing in that. And then I'd like to be so bold and say that every one of you, by God's grace and design, have strength inside of you. And that strength comes across in an area of influence of your life. If I can use the word lead, you may call it serve. But you have a strength. And you need men in your life that will encourage you to grow and exercise that strength because God's anointed you and appointed you in your area of influence. That is the basis of where we're going with the net. We all have our realities and our circumstances, and the fact is we need to be cared for. And there are guys here that need to be prayed for. But they also need to be reminded you are developing, and you also have strengths. And we need to speak into one another's life and give room to to have that balanced conversation. Is anybody with me on that? So as we look at what our ideal situation is, let's go to David And look at his not-so-ideal situation. He's literally been kicked out of the palace. He's on the run. He's fearing for his life. And somehow he's ended up in this cave, and he's got 400 men around him. And as the scriptures read, let's read the words together. David left Gath and escaped for the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. If I could pause for just a moment, this is a very special passage for me. This is the birthplace of this ministry called the net. And the reason it's the birthplace of this is because God gave me a vision November 2011 for you men. There are some of you men that describe this, that you are in debt, you are discontent, And you're distressed. But what's so amazing about this passage is if you flip over a few pages in this not-so-ideal situation, is that we read about the legacy of David's kingdom. 
And that God raised up mighty men that the kingdom was built on. And guess where they came from? The indebted and discontented and distressed. Guys, I solicit to you, some of you are in here are mighty men. But you don't know it. You've rather in, in your not-so-ideal situation. So this time tonight, this, this beginning of the next session, is casting a little vision into your life. And one of the ways that we're going to get there together is in this context of the king and the priest and the prophet. This message, I cannot get away from it because it is, biblically it is a huge idea. We could spend a lifetime looking at the character studies of the kings of Scripture. We could look at the prophets and unpack their stories and things learned from their lives. And we could look at the priest and how that's developed from New Testament old. That is a lifetime study. But well, let me suggest to you that God brings order for his kingdom when you see those three present. And in this one page, we see this brought together. Put your eyes on the text, gentlemen. Let me just read it. Verse, verse 3. David went from there to Mipsah in Moab, and, and he said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? And so he, he left, left them with the king of Moab and strayed with, and stayed with them as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to Harith. First we see King David, but he's not the king yet, is he? He's anointed for Samuel. He was anointed, but he wasn't appointed yet. That's coming. Just for some of you younger guys, this 10-year season of being on the run, you think you're in a long season? This was a 10-year season for David from his 20s to his 30s. Long time. And in this season, he's been anointed, but he's waiting for his appointment. But God is bringing order. And the first person on the scene is the prophet, Gad. And what we see out of the prophet is direction. The second thing, if you keep moving down, is there's a story right within these pages of this horrific slaughter of the priest. That some 80 family members, because of their help of helping David out, giving some bread and giving Goliath's sword, you guys can read the text, is that this one priest from this family slips away from the slaughter. And this priest later, we can read in the passages, he becomes the high priest and does the ceremonies. And that priest is being established. And here we read chapter 22, verse 22. Then David said to Abathar, that day when David the Adamite was there, I knew that it would sure be, I would sure to tell Saul, and I'm responsible for the death of your father's whole family. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. The man who is seeking your life is seeking mine, and you will be safe with me. Let me come back to Jeff, um, my friend who I met 10 years ago. Jeff um, has a pretty... I'll just say epic story. And I was to learn more about Jeff's story and why he was so completely out of place. 
He was a business guy functioning in a consulting type role, but somehow it just never quite got traction. But I knew his story. And Jeff grew up in Guatemala uh, as, uh, as a pastor's kid, as a missionary kid. And it turns out that Michael Hines, his father, really was considered the Billy Graham of Latin America. His father, I was later to learn, started over 2,400 churches over 40 years. And there was one day, I'll never forget, I was sitting out on, at U Park, and Jeff called me and says, Russell, I don't know what to do. And I ran over and we met and we went on a walk. And we sat there on that butte, and he began to tell me what had happened. And the reports had come in that his father's plane had crashed in the jungles of Honduras. And he was going to have to leave to go down there. And he didn't know how he was going to do it. And guys, I've never told this story publicly, but it's been a few years. And I was just with Jeff. And I just share this in utter humility, but it was something that I was so compelled as a guy who had resources to be able to stand behind my friend and get him to Honduras. Within three days, he was in the jungles of Honduras and led the largest search and rescue mission with military and police and firemen. Over 2,400 people searched through the jungles looking for an airplane seven days looking for his father. And they found the plane that had crashed. His father at the time was pastoring two churches. Over 3,000 people in those churches. And literally, my friend, there was a mantle that was passed to Jeff, and I knew it. He had no resources. He had no ability, what do I do with this? And because of my business background and furniture, I had the logistical connections and everything else, and I just knew it, that I was supposed to get his family down there because his call was to pastor that church and continue that work. A month later, the container showed up at his house, and a huge slew of folks that are in his life loaded a container, and that container went down to Honduras, and he began to work. And that work's been going on for eight years now. Guys, some of you are in this room that are kings. And, and some of you are functioning as kings, and sometimes that king role comes a little more priestly role. And I would suggest to you, given what my experience was, because Jeff was just here a couple weeks ago, that priest and that prophet turned around on me. And I'm the recipient of the blessing of that friendship. That that guy, as just as bent as I was to support him, that guy is all the more bent to support me and be a blessing on my life. There is a partnership of kings and prophets and priests. And I take a risk in sharing that story with you so that it's not perverted or corrupted or anything because this is the natural order of the kingdom of God. God wants to do in and through us to build the kingdom what we cannot do on our own. Do you guys hear me on that? And there are dozens of stories in my life where there is this dance back and forth of king and prophet and priest. Let's work through that. If you can, um, Michael, if you can hit the slides, let's see where we're at. This is a question I wanted to pose. 
Who are the kings and prophets and priests in your life? If you want to skip down a little bit, I'm not sure how these slides order up, so go ahead, Michael. So let me just make some suggestions and observations of David's story. There's so many things that can be drawn out of what we just read. But I'd like to suggest to you that the king is in the Old Testament context that we see king used. And what are some of the things that we can glean as we move into New Testament language? That you see less of the language of king in New Testament. And it's really more of the, 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 the language of steward. That God has called us to steward because there, there is the, the ultimate king, priest, and prophet we see in Jesus. Right? And so here we are, kingly type men that are serving the king of kings. Amen? Amen. And we are called as stewards to live in that. And so if we can go back to David's story, what do we see in the way David responded? And, And if you go back to what I just read, this is something I want to charge myself as well as you men. David is in not an ideal situation. He is scrambling, and he's surrounded by a community of distressed and indebted, depressed guys. But interesting, in the midst of his unbelievable situation, circumstance, he's running for his life, right, guys? What does he do? What does he do? Mom and dad. Look at that one more time, guys, back to 1 Samuel 22. From there, David went to Mephsah to Moab and said to the king, Would you let my mother and father and mother come stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? Guys, I'd like to suggest to you that our priority as king is first to our family. That there is no compromise on that. And what we see in this kingly work, in the non-ideal situation, is David's protection as well as provision. It starts first within our family, and then it moves beyond into what we see with both the prophet and the priest. And let me encourage you guys, as you're in this balance of what that looks like, that every one of you here tonight are kings. God has given you rule, he's given you responsibility, and he's also given you resources. And those resources are first through your family and then beyond to the place where you can bless others. It's a kingly work, and every one of you are kings. For the priest, the priest, if we move, let's look at Old Testament language, and then there's a work. And then as we move into the New Testament, We go from the priestly work to the high priest, new covenant. It's a big idea. And as I went through this biblically and just reading and reading, I must have read through all of Hebrews and looking at different passages and what that is. The question I want to leave with you, because we could spend a lot of time on the work of the priest. But if you guys just take a second, let's look at Hebrews 10. You guys flip over there in the scriptures. And this is familiar text because we work on this a lot. This was written in the context of the high priest of Jesus. Verse 19, sorry, Hebrews 10, verse 19. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open through the curtain, that is, his body, since we have this great priest over this house, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with the cleanse, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to this hope we profess, for we know he has promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. The context of, of what is maybe for some of us has become almost cliché, how do we spur one another on to love and good deeds, is in the context of our work as priest. If you look at what priest is, that that word, draw near, ministers of God that ushers in his presence. And I would like to just ask you for your work as priest. There are times, there, you are certainly men, you are kings. But as kings, there are times that you will sit in relationships with men that you are called to be a priest. To usher in the presence of God in that person's life. What is it for you to draw near your friend into the presence of God? I love the way Peterson writes it in the message. Let us be inventive how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. How do you usher in the presence of God into your relationships? And I would also flip it. Who are the men in your life that usher in God's presence into your relationship? This morning I called a friend of mine in Tulsa. And I talked through tonight. And at the end of our time, he prayed and interceded for me on behalf of you men tonight. And we had a moment over the phone where he drew drew me into the presence of God. That is a priestly work, man. If you go to the next uh, text there, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. If you read through that text, these are some key words I'd love you to put your eyes on. A lot of you guys are familiar with this. In New Covenant terms, we are a royal priesthood, aren't we? So you men are here tonight. Your identity, you are chosen by God. You are a royal priesthood. Men, as we just read in Hebrews, God says you're holy because of his blood. And you belong to him. You are no longer outside of family. You are sons. That is a promise and we can claim that and speak that to one another. So let's bring it down to the construction site or the cubicle or the meeting place or the hospital where you work. What does that look like? As you embrace your reality as priest, what does that look like for you tomorrow? When you're interacting with someone, for you as priest, you declare praise. You walk as sons claimed in your identity as Christ. And maybe most importantly, you give mercy to those people in your life. That is the marks of a priest. Let's move on to the prophet. The prophet in the Old Testament is really is the seer, 
is someone that is given a vision or a word from God. And that seer is one that then communicates that with the people. And so if we look at the Old Testament and bring that into the New, there's a couple of texts that I'd just like you to write down. Out of 1 Corinthians 14, that is some of the most specific language in terms of the work of prophet. That if you read through some of those passages, and and also 1 Corinthians 13, it, it says, follow the way of love, and above all else, desire the gift of prophecy. That it is a desire for us, and why do we desire that gift of prophecy in one another? And and Second Peter gives us a little bit of insight of why that works. You guys take a look at that with me. Second Peter, verse chapter one, verse twenty. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What I love about the prophetic work, the prophetic work that you guys can exercise that gift as prophets, is the idea of one, a seer, where you have a vision from God, if if I can use that word, but you also speak truth in one another's life. What does that do for you? What does that stir inside of you for a guy who's depressed and desolate and distressed and indebted and suddenly some man comes along and says, you're a mighty man of God? What does that do inside of you? It activates us. Because there is someone that's come along and is speaking vision into your life. He's calling you out for the man that God sees in you. Speaking life. Speaking truth. And this, this text here, it is, it is not a word from man, but it is a word that it literally echoes God's word spoken to you. That's what builds up. That's what edifies. You guys connect with this? This is a really big idea and it's a big thing to swallow for me to take on the teaching. So king, prophet, and priest, let's keep going. That's good. Keep going. So, guys, um, these are the questions that I would like to just have you consider. But let me close with this tonight. Once again, just as a reminder, this work of king, prophet, and priest starts first in your family. Guys, I'm saying this to myself. Let me be the king and the prophet and the priest to my wife, Carrie, and my children. Let me bring order out of chaos. Let me steward well the responsibilities that have been given to me and the resources so that by God's grace we can protect and provide for our family. For he is the source, but I am charged to steward that to bring order to my home. And let me intercede and help my wife and children draw near to the presence of God. 
Let my home be a tabernacle of the Lord's presence for my children. Let me speak vision over my wife, over my children. And let me speak truth and give grace and mercy and love to our families. Guys, over my break from the net, it was a powerful time for me to get some rest and reset. And I'd just like to close with this story that uh, this is kind of the story for me. My, uh, my 94-year-old grandfather passed the week before Christmas. And uh, we had some time right after the net ended. My family went out to Atlanta to visit he and my grandmother. My grandmother's 96, and we had some great memories. And he went down after that. On going out to, uh, well, actually, yeah, I'll save that story for another day. Let me just say, because I won't make it through, my father, my grandfather blessed me before his passing. And it meant the world to me. On coming back to Atlanta for his funeral, um, I did his eulogy. And with family and some friends that were there, most of the folks there were pretty seasoned. (laughs) And given his eulogy, like my friend Jeff experienced with his dad, there's something that transferred into me. There's some mantle of iron that's transferred into my character, some vision that was transferred. And it ties to exactly what we're talking about tonight, which is why I needed to give this message. In his eulogy, I told the story with my aunt and uncle sitting right there that 50 years ago, my aunt and uncle started a camp in North Carolina called Teen Valley. 15 years later, they transferred that... uh, to another director and started another camp in Montana called Trails Inn and led that for 35 years. And last year they celebrated their 50th anniversary of camping ministry faithfully. Thousands of kids came through that program. And I'm one of them. God got a hold of my heart as a teenager when I was out in Montana shooting guns and riding horses and listening to the word of God. My grandfather supported that work when no one else would for over 50 years. And I'm the product of his investment into them. My grandfather also tells a story of a man that came up to him, came into his church, and while he listened to this guy share his story, he felt so compelled that he was supposed to to contribute or do something, and at the end of that talk, my grandfather felt like he was supposed to give this man his car. And then this man was going to go up and visit churches and tell his story of what God had put on his heart. And my grandfather gave him his car when they didn't have the money or the resources, but he gave it to him anyway. And my grandfather began supporting that man and that work 
as he traveled all over the United States telling the story, and then that work went international. And sitting there during that service, I looked down at his Bible, and it says Transworld Radio on it. My grandfather supported a work for 70 years. That's the man of God I'm going to be. When I cast vision for 10 years from now, a new life, let's go ahead and make it 50. But it's because my grandfather took a sacrificial gift as a king because God had given him resources to support a priest. And you know that's a blessing, and I'm it. I'm not playing, fellas. This is really serious. God wants to do through us to build his kingdom what we cannot do on our own. This isn't a cutesy exercise for men because you're supposed to get together and have a group, share a few stories, and fill out a study. That's not what it is. God wants to activate us into God's men. Unite us because he wants to build his kingdom. And that's my story. And I will be doing this until I'm 90. And I hope I can do it with some of you. So, king, prophet, or priest, who are those men in your life? Who are you to those men? And uh, thank you for coming to the net. Welcome, guys. What I appreciate about Russell and what I respect that he does, there's a discipline for thinking deeply. So if you're like me, I hear the word king, prophet, and priest. I think I know what that means. I'll admit, many of these scriptures I've never read before. If I did, I don't remember them. It would be easy to walk out of here and not think about this one more time. So to take the next 30 minutes and to think deeply Questions you're asking. So take that paper. What? It's just where am I? What's my question? Right? Not questions. I just, I'd challenge you, what's one? What's that one question? And what I tend to find, when I become fully engaged in right now, my heart, my heart starts beating. Like in a heart attack kind of a feeling. Like, what's that about? And it's usually, God's he's speaking to me. I mean, there's a whisper, there's a movement, there's something that's there. Obey that. Listen to that. So we're going to take the next three minutes. If you're that guy that needs to do this by yourself, the guys at your table will respect that. And just think deeply. If you need someone to, hey, challenge me on this, ask me about this, or, hey, this is what I'm thinking, do that just amongst your table. Right? So what's that one question? Where am I? What's my question? Russell gave us some good scriptures. Um, that you can go back and look at because you guys are taking notes. Go through the assessment. Again, you're looking for clarity so that you can walk away with what's the one action where you can look another guy in the eye and say, this is what I'm going to do. And it might be, I need to understand these words because right now I just have it intellectually. I have no idea what it means. You with me? Am I the only one that are hearing these words and I'm like, what does that mean? 
What does it mean for me? All right, so let's go. So let's take those questions. Um, but raise the bar for yourself. It'd be easy just to fill it out and do a nice little pretty exercise and eat your peanuts. Or we can really become mighty men of God. All right? So let's do this.